Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good evening, everyone. It is Monday, August the 22nd, 2022. It is currently 7.46 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the Theology Central Studios located right here in Abilene, Texas. And I'm still asking the exact same question. Now, a number of you have emailed me. Some of you have posted it on YouTube. Others have contacted me other ways. So I have heard from a number of you, but I still want to hear from everyone. This is the very important question. What do you think young people need to be taught? Christian young people, those in the church, what do, what do the youth in the church need to be taught in 2022? When it comes to teaching youth in 2022, what do they need to hear? What do they need to be taught? How should we be ministering to youth in 2022? Well, the reason I'm asking that question is we are currently in a series where we are reviewing sermons that was preached at a youth conference in Hammond, Indiana earlier this summer. Maybe three or four weeks ago, maybe a lot, I mean, I don't know exactly how long ago I would have to look at the date for the first, uh, for the first message, but it's a youth conference have held every year in Hammond, Indiana. And according to the, well, the first message we reviewed, they would claim, they did claim, I mean, they were very specific, they were, they were very explicit that it's the most influential youth conference I guess ever in the history of youth conferences, I mean, they were really bragging and talking it up and how they spend thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars for all the fun and the games and, and all the wow factor and to make it epic. And, but it's, it's supposedly a big deal. And I think it's the first Baptist church in Hammond, Indiana. And, uh, well, we started reviewing the messages and we've, we've only reviewed one. It took us two parts to review it. And there were some serious problems. And there were some serious issues, but we reviewed every word, so we gave them the opportunity to speak, and that was session number one of the youth conference. So you want to go back and listen to part one, part two. Tonight, part three, we're going to travel back to Hammond, Indiana, go back to the youth conference, and we're going to listen to session number two, and our typical way, just in case you're new to our reviews, we will... I don't listen to them in advance, so I will hit play. I will be interrupting, offering critique, analysis, and review. And you can either you can either agree with me or you can agree with what you're listening to. But in either case, you're going to hear every single word. We don't edit it. We don't chop it all up. We don't we don't take just certain sound bites out of context. This is an opportunity for you to hear. I and I listen. You can't say I have an agenda because I don't know what's getting ready to happen because I don't listen to it in advance. But we do know this. They claim to be the most influential youth conference. So I think we have a responsibility to hear what they think young people need to be taught in 2022. A lot, a lot of, I mean, you look at churches today, sometimes I'm somewhat baffled by what they think the young people need. And now in part one, I offered my critique of how most churches do youth ministry. I pretty much reject all of their concepts. I almost reject everything. What was funny um, is, was it after part one? I think it was right after part one. I was looking at one of my podcast apps and I noticed a new a new sermon, a new message was posted on Sermon Audio. Something, something along the lines, the Bible doesn't teach... Uh, 
about youth groups or the Bible doesn't command youth groups or something along that line. So I I, I am going to find that audio. I think it's just like a, a two-minute clip from a, a very well-known pastor uh, talking about how the Bible doesn't basically command youth groups, and uh, we'll have to listen to it just to add to our discussion. I was going to do that tonight, but I thought, you know what? These reviews take so long. It takes so long. So I really can't spend a lot of time in my introduction. We just have to jump in. So we're going back to Hammond, Indiana. I'm hoping I'm saying that correctly. This summer, Youth Conference, it's a conference that's been going on for well over 50 years. They claim it's the most, one of the most influential, the most influential. And uh, we're, just, we're just trying to figure out what they think young people need to be taught. I can say this. Based off the first message, I don't even really know what was taught. I still need to, don't even really know what the purpose of that message was. I don't even know what the message was. It was really just, it was hard to follow. So we are hoping that session number two is going to be amazing and awesome, and we can say we agree. I, I'm going to try to be neutral right now and not let my typical negative outlook start appearing yet. I, I, I know I'm cynical, a lot of cynicism. I know that, but I've just seen so much in my Christian life, especially when it comes to youth ministry. Oh, yeah. Okay. But we won't go back through that. So are you ready? Bible's open, notebook's open, pencil in hand. If you're listening to me live, please add your thoughts in the chat. And you may think it's amazing. That's great. I may think it's not. You get to, basically, you get to listen and decide. Are you ready? Here we go. I'm going to get into the message, Genesis chapter 2, look in verse number 18. Genesis 2, verse number 18. And the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him and help me for him. And out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field, every fowl of the air, and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them, and whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And Adam gave names to all the cattle, and to the fowl of the air, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found in help meet for him. Verse 21, And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs, closed up the flesh instead thereof, and the rib which the Lord God had taken for man, made he a woman, and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. I'm going to preach. Now this is interesting. Um, youth conference. We're in Genesis, and it seems to be talking, is it, going, is it going to be talking about marriage? All right. Now, there's a lot of directions you could go here. Is it going, are they going to go? And we, we could, we could, now, this is the way I love to listen to things. I like to stop in the middle and start speculating. And, and I know in some ways I should just let it play out, but I just like to tell you what I'm thinking. So I'm sitting here trying to guess. Could, you could go in the direction. We're in a culture that may be 
now minimizing the importance of marriage, downplaying the importance of marriage, or rejecting the importance of marriage. And so he believes the young people in 2022, what they need more, more than anything, because this is session two, I mean, they only have so many limited sessions for this youth conference. And so what he wants them to understand is marriage is important, it is biblical, and that's what you should seek, and that's what you should desire. Or is he going to go in the direction marriage is important and then kind of circle back to the old 1990s purity culture message? You're basically, if you do A, B, C, and D before you're married, married, you're just, you're, you're basically, you know, defective, you're damaged goods. And so save yourself for that. Or you, you basically are less than what you should be when you get married. Is it going to be like the purity culture message? which is possibly showing up again in 2022? Or is it a, hey, society says marriage is not important. Marriage is important. And this is what he believes young people need for 2022. I'm going to back this up just a little because he was just getting ready to say what he's going to preach about. All right, here we go. We're getting ready to find out. And shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. I'm going to preach on this subject tonight, the second most important decision of your life, the second most important decision of your life. All right, so he's going to preach on the second most important decision of your life. I'm assuming the first decision you make is to get saved. Clearly, this is coming from decisionism, uh, an Arminian, semi-Pelagian, I don't believe full Pelagian, probably semi-Pelagian, Arminian perspective, uh, which is obviously very different than my perspective, which would be more re- obviously reformed, holding to the London Baptist Confession of Faith, that type of thing. So, so, but I'm not, I'm not here to, well, it just depends. It depends, it depends on how he mentions it. I may have to deal with it, but it looks like he's going to go that the second most important decision of your life is who you marry. Now, I'm, I'm a little worried <laughs> and how this is going to go, all right, because This could be some kind of mystical thing, or it's, I don't know. We'll see. We're going to see. So it's just, do you think, do you think this is the, the, do you think that this is the, one of the most important things young people need to be taught in 2022? I guess I'm. I guess I'm trying to, to try to just speculate. Like, where would I place this in my list of things? Hey, they need to be taught this. Do you feel? Now, this was some of the complaints and uh, about purity culture. Some of the critiques of purity culture that it was like a massive amount of pressure for young people that you need to find who you're going to marry. You need to find who you're going to marry. You need to get married. 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 You need to get married because if you don't get married, you're going to commit sexual sin. You need to get married. You need to get married. Do you believe that? That I don't know if this is the direction it's going to go, but do you believe that that has been a problem in the church placing that kind of pressure on young people that that's what you have to look for that and that that's that almost becomes like more important than anything else I I, I don't know I, I think maybe there's a little bit of that we could probably do a podcast series on that by itself but let's just see where this is going to go An unusual thing happened in 1995 my dad was the senior pastor of Blessed Hope Baptist Church I was his assistant pastor at that time And my dad wanted 
to have Dr. Lee Robertson come and preach at our church. It had been one of his dreams, so he contacted Brother Robertson and honestly was a bit surprised when he agreed to come to a little town, Jasonville, Indiana. But Brother Robertson was such a godly man and such a gracious man, I guess maybe we shouldn't have been surprised. And so he preached a meeting for us, and my job was to kind of host him. And that meant that by the t- when he arrived at church, I was to make sure that he was well taken care of, him and his wife needed anything, and then just to stay close by, just to you know run interference for him and try to be a blessing, see to his needs. And so at the end of the Sunday morning service, all of the people had left. It was me and Dr. Lee Robertson. We were in the middle aisle of the Blessed Oak Baptist Church, just the two of us by ourselves. And he turned around and he said, Brother Jerry, tell me again what you do here. And I said, well, uh, uh, several things, but I'm mostly, I guess you'd say, the youth pastor, and I oversee our Christian school. And as soon as he heard that I was involved with youth, he reached over, and you've got to understand, he was in his 90s at this time and had uh, long since not, uh, moved on to pastor emeritus status and just traveled the country. But, but I can see him re- reaching out with that gnarled hand and grabbing my elbow and, and just gripping it. And boy, he still had strength in his grip. And he pulled me close by and he said, Brother Jerry, he said, we're losing our young people. He said, they're marrying out of the will of God. And of all the things that man could have said, all of the experience that he had, I can feel it on my elbow right now, that grip tightening. And he looked at me again and said, Brother Jerry, you need to do something about that. Interesting. So now that's the 1990s. Now we're in 2022. Do you think the reason we're losing our young people? Now, it's always funny because the church is always saying, here's the reason we're losing our young people. I mean, the church has been saying it since I became a, I became a Christian as a teenager. The reason we're losing our young people. Back then, it was MTV. was That was it. MTV was, it was destroying everyone. MTV, MTV, Ozzy Osbourne was the reason we're losing our young people. It was rock and roll. It was, it was dancing. I, I literally, I, I know you think I'm joking. It was... You know, you think Footloose, Footloose that, that's, that's how it was in some West Texas towns where they literally had rules against dancing, right? So it was dancing. It was MTV. It was Ozzy Osbourne. It was Iron Maiden. It was, it was the metal of the 80s, right? It was, it was, it was music. It was popular culture. Um, that we're, we're losing a generation of young people because of music. And so what we need to do is give them a copy of that music. Well, we can get a whole discussion about contemporary Christian music and how that industry exploded and became such a big deal. But um, so I, I heard a lot about that's why we're using uh, uh, our, our, a generation of young people. Then in the 90s, it was seemed like we're using, we're losing a generation of young people because of promiscuity, because of premarital sex. So we need purity rings. We need the purity culture. We need to kiss dating goodbye because we're losing a generation of young people. And it's always, it's either music or it's sex or it's pornography. It's always like, that's why we're losing our young people. And I wonder if we always think we're losing young people because of these external things that the world is doing and that we're not losing young people because of the failure of what we're doing inside the church. We always want to blame the externals, right? We always want to blame the externals. I I wonder if it's because of our lack of, I don't know, discipleship and teaching. I don't know. I, 
I just, I just do. I'm, but if you were to make a list of why we're losing our young people, like I, 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 owe my, I mean, I know I've already asked you what three things would you think you think are the priority to teach young people? If you were to write the three reasons we're quote unquote losing our young people, what would be your three reasons? Now, I, I'm, I'm going to be I'm going to I'm going to play devil's advocate here. Because I don't believe any of those reasons you list are accurate. They went out from among us because they were never of us, right? Is that not biblical? So do we lose our, our young people simply because they marry outside of the will of God? I mean, I, I, guess, I guess you could argue that. It just seems to me that if you're saved, you're spiritually secure, right? You so you you can't lose them as far as are you saying we're losing them because like I know they don't believe in losing your salvation. Are you saying that they were saved, but we lose them as far as the church is concerned? They stop coming to church. They stop serving Christ. Are you saying it from that perspective? I would just think that. It, that that marrying a quote unquote outside of the will of God, um, that marrying outside of the will of God, it, it it may cause you problems. It may cause you difficulties. No one can deny that. It can cause great issues. It can great cause great conflict. But it should it. I mean, is your faith so weak that? Boom, it's over. It's done. I, I just, I'm done with Jesus. I'm just, I married the wrong person. It's, it's just over. I'm just done with Jesus. It just looks like you would be trying to serve Jesus now in a, a more difficult situation. You may have to live with frustration and regret, but you're, you, you're, I mean, it looks like you would just be trying to figure out how to make it work in that situation. I don't know. And someone just said, they don't get lost in one day. Exactly. So here's the thing. Are they, are they marrying outside of the will of God because the will of God is so confusing? Or are they marrying outside of the will of God because they already didn't care about the will of God? So then would it be we're losing our young people because they're marrying out of the will of God or we're losing our young people because they didn't care about the will of God? And why didn't they care about the will of God? Maybe because they weren't saved in the first place? And maybe they weren't saved in the first place because churches push this child evangelism where you get the child to say a prayer and go, bum, bum, ba -dum, you're saved. When in reality, all you did is manipulate them into saying a prayer. Yeah, we could go lots of directions here, but we'll let them go. I know ooh, this one's going to be hard to, to go very long without interrupting. Okay, so according to him, though, in the 1990s, he was told that the reason we're losing our young people is they're marrying outside of the will of God. And he was told by a very famous preacher, you've got to fix it. You've got to do something about it. You've got to do something about it. Well, I mean, in the 1990s, weren't a lot of people trying to do something about it? We had we had love weights, contracts that people were say, uh, signing, purity rings, I kissed dating goodbye. Didn't we have a million things going on in the 90s to supposedly fix all of that? That we we stopped dating and we started courting and we started this and we started that and we started the. I mean, I, I went, saw all of that take place. And so... So I, 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 I don't uh, just think we I think we we uh, I think we missed the point so many times. But let's see. Let's see. Maybe he, he has the uh, insight to the real issue. 
And I couldn't help but kind of laugh. I thought, sure, Dr. Lee Robertson, I'll just take care of that tomorrow, you know. I'll send a memo out. People will stop doing that. But he gripped my elbow and he said, you need to do something about that. He said, they're growing up in good Christian homes, even in Christian schools. And he said, when the devil can't seem to get him any way, other way, he said, right when we about get him to the finish line, he'll bring somebody into their life that's not the will of God. We're losing our young people. We're losing our young people. Some of you have already asked me the question as we were talking, you know. So the last resort, the devil can try everything else. He can try drugs. He can try pornography. He can try promiscuity. He can try false doctrine. He tries everything. And then the last resort, when, when they're almost to the finish line, then the, his ace up the sleeve, he brings the wrong person. The wrong person. And boom, that's it. Christian down. Christian down. Christian down. Christian down. You can take them down. Just got to bring the wrong. All the other things may not work, but this one will be the thing that will bring them down. It's just, I don't. Uh, all right. So, so, so someone just asked, so is the argument that they were almost not lost and then boom, bad boy takes your girl. I, I guess I, I, it almost, see, I don't know if he's saying we lose them. Like, I know they're not saying we lose their, they're losing their salvation. I know that's not their theology and their doctrine. It's a Baptist church would believe in some kind of eternal security. I guess we lose them as far as bad boy takes the girl and she never comes back to church. But is the issue, I, I don't know. We'll, we'll just see where it goes. I know we're doing a lot of speculating here, but that's the fun part when you're listening to this. Is, it's just kind of having the back and forth. Well, here we go. Is God not calling young people anymore? Surely the need for preachers and any of us that travel know that that need is everywhere. Go to the Northwest and you know what they're saying? We need preachers. Talk to Jim Townsley out on the East Coast. We need preachers. Talk to Paul Chapman. Save New England. We need preachers. I mean, it doesn't matter if it's in the Midwest, rural America. Let me just... Okay, now, now I get fired up. I get so tired of hearing we need preachers. Because I've watched, <laughs> at least from my experience, the utter lack of any meaningful organized way of actually helping young men who want to preach really get into ministry. I, at least it, I, I saw all the contrary, right? Like, I'm like, okay, I want to be a pastor. And it was kind of like, there was never really any direction of what to do, how to do it, how to get there. And then, and then, you know, when I end up in Nebraska and an independent fundamental Baptist church, okay, got to go to Bible Institute. But then it was kind of like, well, go start a church. Wait, so I'm supposed to start a church? Well, and then I was told, well, if you don't start a church, you want the easy way. So wait, so if I go to an established church, that's the easy way I'm supposed to start. Like, do we need to start more churches? So if we need preachers, because there's not enough preachers, 
That would seem to indicate that there's too many churches with not enough preachers, but that we have the mentality that some like you have to go start a church because if you go take an established church, you're taking the easy way. That was always, that was mind boggling to me. And then when I went to a number of conferences where there were preachers and I was young and, you know, trying going to Bible Institute, going to Bible college, and I would try to even have conversations with them. It was almost, I was dismissed because they were having their own thing. And when you kind of ask like, so, and I remember asking, questions. So like, I just don't know what to do next. I just don't know. And nobody really had, well, here's what you need to do. Nobody really set you down. It really wasn't ever designed like, okay, here's the deal. We're going to, you, you get your training, you get ordained. We will help you find a church. We will help you get into ministry. We will support you. It was like, there was just never any structure or any, it never made any sense to me. To me, the system is about as broken as what I believe the missionary system is of, of people, you know, going all over the country trying to raise money. I'll never understand that. I, I you know, I, I don't understand that concept. It, it, mind-boggling. If you're in a church, you would think that local church would do everything they can to raise the money so that missionary could go from the local church almost directly to the mission field. But no, they have to take their family go from town to town to town, contacting churches, trying to see if anyone will give them a meeting so that they can, can raise enough money. And here's what, while they're going from town to town to town to town, trying to raise money, a lot of that money that's being raised is for them just to make it to the next town. And it just makes no sense to me. Why would you just not be in your local church? That local church says, we're going to support the families within this church for missionary work and then try try to support them as much as possible. There's just so many things like we we don't have enough preachers. So we don't have enough preachers, I guess, because they're marrying the wrong person. It, it, I, maybe maybe churches need to like like and, and not only that, just the way the way it works in many churches. Oh, you want to be a pastor? Well, you got to go off to Bible college. Go, go, go get you know, thousands and thousands of dollars of debt. Why wouldn't the local church be the one that trains the men for ministry, then ordains them, and then works to help them find a church, and then that local church helps support them financially, at least until they get to their next church, they get established, and if necessary, support them so that they could minister in a little small church in the middle of nowhere. But I mean, there's just the whole system that I look at the whole system and it just, there's just no, I, it makes no sense to me so many different times. I, I could, I could do 900 podcasts on my issues with so many things here. All right. So, so right now his thesis is that the problem with young people is they're marrying the wrong person. And this is leading, we're losing young people. And it seems that he's going in the direction. That's why we don't have enough pastors. Just say we need preachers. People can criticize California and being out of the Midwest. I guess we feel an obligation to do that. But you know what? I was reading a book a while back on the California gold rush, and halfway through, I just slammed it shut, fell on my knees, and said, God, give us a California gospel rush. We can complain about it, or we can send some young men out there to do something about it. I kept thinking to myself, well, where, where? are these young men and I'm convinced please hear me out tonight that the way the devil gets many a young man long before he can surrender to the call of preach is that he lures him away from the God's perfect will by sending by the devil sending I should say the devil sending a counterfeit into his life before God can send the real deal
All right, so make sure I understand this. There's the sovereign God in heaven. I want that person to be a preacher. Oh, oh, what just happened? How, no, 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 no. How did she get there? How did, how did the bad girl came along? The bad girl got in. Uh, man, who let the bad girl in? I wanted him to be a preacher. Whoa, man. Oh, okay, we got to find another one. Okay, okay, that's the one we, oh, man, another bad girl came in. Okay, wait, wait, do, all right, that's it. We're done. No more preachers. <laughs> that, that's how God called, I'm going to call that person to ministry. Oh, well, that got ruined. Bad girl came along. That's all it took. Is that how it works? Is that... It, it's, it's all, so, so much of preaching is God has a will and then we mess it up, everything. I mean, God's will is constantly overthrown by so many different things in preaching. God's up there wanting, he's up there like, you know, with the chessboard, trying to move the piece in a certain direction. And someone comes along and just says, you can't have that piece. And, and I'm holding a bottle cap and I'm now throwing it across the room and they throw it across the room. Like, nope, you don't get that one. And God's like, oh man, what do I do now? Like, it's almost like God is constantly frustrated. Constantly his plans are being messed up where I believe that God works all things according to his good pleasure and will. This is just, it really is an interesting picture that some preachers present of God. That God's up there with all of these plans and ideas, and he just can't get it done because the devil comes along and messes it all up. And it's it's this simple. God wants someone to be a pastor, and Satan says, give me one second, all I need is a bad girl. There's a bad girl, come here, come here, come here. See that guy right there? Boom, it's over. That's all it takes. That's all it takes. It seems like young people are falling for it. Not one or two here, but almost by the droves, by the truckload. They're marrying out of the will of God. And that 95-year-old preacher, I mean, one of the most godly men I've ever had time, got to spend time with, can hold onto my elbow, not let go and grip harder and look me in the eye. I got to feel like, Brother Robertson, I'm going to try to do something about it tonight. I want to try to help you young people. The minute I mentioned this subject, for some of you, you just automatically threw defenses up. I'm going to ask you to do something. I'm going to ask you to trust me. I'm going to ask you to just lower those defenses for the next few minutes and just listen to somebody that loves you. Some of you young ladies, I want you to let me grandpa you a little bit tonight. Some of you young men, I want you to let me help you because I believe that the second most important decision that you'll ever make in your life is who you marry. I think it'll have more bearing on what you're able to accomplish for the Lord or what you're unable to accomplish for the Lord Amen. than almost any other decision you can make. Amen. Now, if it's the second most important decision, let's just take 60 seconds and let's talk about the first most important decision. What is that? Salvation. Amen. Receiving Jesus Christ as your Savior. When we all came in. All right, so we're getting the theological perspective, decisionism. So this would be much, very much an Arminian or semi-Pelagian that somehow your will is free, that you can make a decision. And so you make a decision, and by making that decision, then you, you make the decision, you believe, you repent, and then you're regenerated instead of you're regenerated and God gives you the faith. Okay, we could go through the order salutis and the order of salvation and the different systems. That's fine. I, I'm just interested in 
he believes this is like the most important thing young people need. They got to marry the right person. They got to marry the right person. I mean, you could argue. Now, this is a question. Divorce amongst Christians, pretty high, right? Now, there's some argument over the statistics. I've heard it before as over 50%. I've heard it that it's much less than 50%. But I'm wondering, how many divorces occur? And both individuals are believers. Now, if both are believers, are you going to say it was outside the will of God? So if a lot of a lot of merit, Christian marriages end in divorce, even when they both married believers, then how, I mean, like, I, I, so I'm not saying we should go run around marrying outside the will of God. I'm just trying to say, like, I, I just don't know, like, so even if you marry within the will of God, that's no guarantee of, of a successful marriage. That's no guarantee that everything's going to work out. It's just weird that of all the things, if we can just get them to marry a believer, everything's going to be good, but it doesn't, it doesn't work out that way. I don't know. I, it just, this just seems odd that this would be like session number two of this youth conference that's the most influential. We've got to get young people to marry the right way. I, 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 I'm, it's going to be very interesting to see his, I'm assuming he's going to give us maybe at least three or four steps to, to ensure that you marry the right way. I, I'm going to be interesting to see how many of these are objective, very objective and biblical, and how many are very subjective and almost, you know, mystical. It'll be interesting to see which direction he goes. Here tonight, we're going to gather together and we're going to enjoy this and join together in this, but it's, it's unique. You know, you'll never have these same people in one place ever again. It's just like, this is it. When we all walked in, there's three groups that walked in the door, and I can promise you this is true. There's those of you that know for sure, 100% sure, you could give a good Bible reason, you got a solid salvation testimony. No doubt in your heart, you know you're saved. There's some young people that know, I mean, come on, down in your heart, you know you're lost. You know you need to be saved. But there's also, almost in every crowd like this, a middle group that just says, Preacher, I'm struggling with, and that's why I was so appreciative of that testimony. Sometimes I think I am, sometimes I think I'm not. How do you know the difference between Holy Spirit convicting you that you're not saved or the devil trying to get you to doubt your salvation? And, and you know what? I've been kind of caught in the middle. Now listen, young people, by the time this conference is over, what we'd like to do is take this group, and this group, and let's move all of the young people over into this group where you know for sure, without a doubt, that you're going to heaven. That is the most important decision you'll make. So stop just for a minute. Let's mark this. Here's a theological question. I wonder if so many of the issues surrounding young people within the church and so-called losing young people is because of the decisionism. Does decisionism create the problem? 
Now, I know that, now just, just hear me out, all right, because in most churches, it's taught basically the way it works is your child is, is growing up. Now, you are to, to teach and teach them in the fear and admonition of the Lord. You're to raise them in a way that, hey, God is true, the Bible is true, and you are to teach that. But so much of Christianity looks for the opportunity, I hate to go, from teaching, from catechizing to, I don't even know how, how else to say this, to manipulating. Like, it's one thing to say, this is Christianity. This is the word of God. That We believe this to be true. This is the Bible. And you present it to them as truth, right? And it's another thing to take that truth, to manipulate them, to say, I'm a, I'm a Christian. I, 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 I don't want to go to hell. You know, you know, and, and we almost try to lead them into making a decision. You can get a kid to make a decision. It's not difficult to manipulate a kid to make a decision. I watched it take place in churches where they had junior church or whatever and VB or vacation Bible school, whatever, and they would manipulate, 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 and they could get 10, 15, 20 kids to say, or 30, 40, whatever. I mean, if you, if you are, if you're a Christian family, very few Christian families who try to teach their kids the things of God report not their kid not making a quote-unquote decision for God, right? I mean, it, it just seems normal. If you are a Christian parent raising your kid, at some point, most of the time, I would say probably 90 to 95% of the time, the kid's going to be like, well, I want to be a Christian. I want to be baptized because, because they're kids. They just go along with it. Now, they go along with it, and then we, then we, then all of a sudden, things happen, right? So what typically happens is they start getting older. Maybe they start not liking it or start rejecting it. Now, what many Christian parents do is then they double down. You will go to church. You will do this. You will go to youth group. You will, you will, you will, because you know, that's a great way to establish their Christianity is by force. I mean, by grounding, by, by nagging. I mean, that, that's a great way to help them grow spiritually. Or that's a pretty good sign that maybe you need to back off a little bit and realize maybe, maybe there's just not conversion to go, okay, okay. Can you just tell me what's going on spiritually? Okay. And, and that the kids should have freedom. And I know in some Christian families, what I'm about to say is going to be like anathema, but just hear me out. The kids say, you know what? I don't think I believe this. I think I said that when I was little. I don't believe this. I don't like it. I'm not interested in it. And the parents should be like, oh, no, what are we going to do? And then go crazy. You should be like, okay, well, you know what? I respect your honesty. I respect you. And not, not, nothing's going to change with the way I treat you. And we're going to back off a little bit. I'm not going to try to shove Christianity down your throat. You've been raised. You know it. You understand it. I'm going to maintain my relationship with you as parent to child, love you. We're going to have a great relationship. And I just understand that you're not in the, and you're not a Christian. You're not, you're not a believer and okay. And, and not going to force it down you and, and try to put all these rules upon you that treat you as a Christian. I'm going to not treat you that way. And I, some people lose their minds, but I, you, guess what? You can't nag them into heaven. You can't ground them into heaven. You can't just you know, belittle them and badger them into, into conversion. I think the decisionism is we get the kids to make a decision. And then when they, when they 
at some point later on fall away, we've got to come up with, what do we, what did we do wrong? What did we do wrong? Oh, oh no, they married the wrong person. Oh no, it's music. Oh no, it's Netflix. Oh no, it's Harry Potter. Oh no, it's, and we, and we, we got to go blame everything. Maybe it's your messed up theology that you think they can just make a random decision to follow Jesus. Not if the Bible is correct, they're dead in their trespasses and sins. They need conversion. They need to be born again. And that occurs, occurs not by the will of man, but by the will of God. It's, everyone quotes the verse. I think it's still in my Bible. Maybe, maybe, maybe I'm missing it. I think it's still in the Bible. Let me see here if I can find it. I think, I think it's still here. Let me see if I can find it. I, I think it's somewhere. I'm being a little bit facetious. Um, here we go. John chapter one, the gospel of John chapter one, verse 11. He came unto his own and his own received him not, but as many as received him to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. God has to be the one who produces. it. God has to be the one to convert. God has to be. Your job is to raise them. And, and what you're trying to do is demonstrate Christianity. You're trying to show them Christianity. You're trying to show them Christian love, Christian humility. You're trying to show them that. And you're trying to teach them, obviously, as they're young, as they get older and they kind of push back and they're not interested. Why are you going to now double down and shove it down their throats? You say, okay, well, clearly they're not converted. An unconverted person is not going to want church. An unconverted person is not going to want the word of God. Maybe decisionism is we manipulate them. And then when they fall away, we've got to, it's the bad girls. We got to keep the bad girls away from our sons. It's the bad boys. We got to keep them away from our daughters. Maybe the reason they want the bad boy and the bad girl is because they're not converted. All they did was say a prayer that you manipulated them into. When I was in, I say, how old was I? I don't even know where I was. I was in some kind of quote unquote children's ministry setting. I don't even know why or how I ended up there, but they, they manipulated me to walk an aisle and say a prayer. Didn't understand what was going on. I think I ended up being baptized, but it, it never meant anything and by the time I was a teenager, clearly, <laughs> clearly I wasn't saved. Clearly I was not saved. Trust me, I was not. And then, then finally I was saved. But I was saved ultimately because God saved me, not because of this manipulation. Now, the thing is, I made a decision and then there was no, there was no follow-up. There was no anything. I didn't really understand it. And I, and I, I kind of just like, I don't even know what, I think I just kind of just forgot about it and just moved on with my life. I never looked back on it as being anything. But I wonder if some of the issues is the decisionism where it's manipulate the child through every little trick you can come up with, get them to say a prayer, and then basically shove Christianity down their throat and demand that your child lives as a Christian. And under my roof, under my roof, you're going to do what a Christian does. Why are you under my roof? You're going to live like a converted person, even if you're unconverted. Under my roof, I don't understand what that proves, right? I'm going to make you live like a Christian. That'll make you, that'll make you love Christianity. No, that's going to make them go, I don't want anything to do with it. They're unconverted. 
Now, I understand there's going to be certain rules within your home, but you can't make rules that demand they act like a Christian and do Christian things just to ease your conscience. Salvation is of the Lord. Uh, All right. I I know I'm not being popular here, but that's okay. Moment in time. This exact moment in time. Let's mark it. All right. Draw a line. Let's mark it. The timeline of your life from the time you're born all the way to this moment. Now, I want you to, in your mind and heart, search up and down that timeline. Can you find a place in your memory where you fell under Holy Spirit conviction because of your sin? You felt the drawing of the Father. Jesus said, hey, no man can come unto me unless the Father draw him. What's so fascinating about this is when God wants to save somebody and is attempting to get you saved, do you realize that all... <laughs> when God is attempting to get you saved, I want you saved. I want you saved. I, I, I'm going to do everything I can. I'm trying so hard. It, it, this always turns God into some weak... Like, God's will is constantly thwarted. It's so weird the way this, this is taught. But again, you're talking to kids raised in a Christian home who were in many cases manipulated or or found themselves just doing what a kid does and not really understanding. So how are they going to be able to look back on, I think that was the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Maybe it was the conviction of my mom and dad. I don't know. Maybe it was the conviction of a youth conference. Maybe it was the conviction of the manipulation brainwashing techniques that happened in church camp. I, I mean, like, how are they supposed to know? Okay, I think it was conviction of the Holy Spirit. I just, uh, okay. Members of the triune God stop everything they're doing and they concentrate their full efforts on you. The Father's drawing you, drawing you, but he won't push you. He won't make you, but he'll draw you. Come on, you remember? You may not have known what that was. Can you remember some of you that are say, Preacher, I remember sitting out there and holding on to the pew and I, I can remember this inside of me that's urging, urging that I need to go forward. I need to do something about my lost condition. I need to do something about my lost condition. Yeah, this is very much a semi-Pelagian Arminian big time. Okay, I just I just find it interesting that it, they're really pushing the decisionism, the semi-Pelagian, the Arminianism at the same time saying we're losing our young people. And they do they see a correlation? Look, you know what happens in Arminian and semi-Pelagian churches? And you know what happens in Reformed churches? You know what happens in Presbyterian churches who put water on a baby and say they're a part of the covenant family? You know what happens in all of those churches? No matter how much you catechize, no matter how much you teach, no matter how many Sunday school lessons and VBC and church camps they go to, young people get older and say, I don't want any of this garbage. Leave me alone. You know why that happens? Because none of those things converts sinners. All of those things educate, inform sinners. God saves the sinner. You can't accomplish that simply by your teaching. You can teach all day. God must effectually call. He must must regenerate. He must give faith. He must give repentance. We always think that we have the next new technique to get the young person saved. No, you don't. You've got the new technique to manipulate, or you've got the new technique to teach, 
to inform. You can teach and inform dead sinners all day long. They don't become living Christians because of your teaching ability or your manipulative techniques. They become living sinners because the sovereign God effectually calls and regenerates them. He uses your teaching, but then he has to give them spiritual life. That was the drawing of the Father, conviction of the Holy Spirit, an understanding of the gospel. You had to understand the gospel, and it's not complicated. It's not hard. I mean, Jesus Christ died for your sins. He was buried. He rose again the third day. And if thou shalt confess with thy mouth, you're willing to say out loud, I believe that Jesus is the Lord. He's the Son of God. I believe he died for my sins, was buried, rose again. Preacher, I believe it not just with my head, but with my heart. Under conviction of sin, with the drawing of the Father, and understanding the gospel, crying out, asking Christ to save you. Listen, it's not complicated. It's not hard. But it's 1,000% necessary. I'm not for getting a bunch of... It's not hard... It's impossible for the dead sinner to respond to the general call. It's impossible because we're dead, okay? But you preach it like come to Christ. You do preach it that way. Come to Christ. You are a sinner. Christ is your only hope. Come to him. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. But God has to be the one to save them. Of Christian kids together and trying to get them to doubt their salvation. I, I don't. I don't want to do that. But if you do not have a salvation that can hold up to a holy Bible, Holy Ghost examination, you need to get one before you leave this conference. All right. So if you don't have a lifestyle that can hold up to a Holy Spirit, Holy Bible examination, then you've got to get one, and you get one by getting saved. So let me make sure the biblical standard is be ye perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. No one's lifestyle will meet that examination. Be ye holy as I am holy. No one's lifestyle will meet that examination. So you're giving the kids now. A, 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 hey, so so my lifestyle doesn't meet, meet up to this standard. Well, then you're not saved. Well, then no one is ever saved. It, Man, okay. All right. I, I'm still I'm still waiting for us to get to how to ensure that you don't marry outside of the will of God because that's the thing that will that's why we're losing young people. Well, we'll see. Obviously, we're not going to finish this review in this session. All of these are going to take two two times, but here we go. That's the first and most important decision you'll make. Let's look at the Bible. Let me see if I can help you with some things. God, in verse number 18, looked down and he watched Adam. The Bible says, as he has observed Adam, he said something. It is not good that man should be alone. That does not surprise me because I is a man. I think the Lord put him in the garden, sat back, watched that for a while and went, eh, that ain't going to work. That's not going to work. We're so God put Adam in, in the garden and then he looked and he's like, ah, that's not going to work. You know, God, you see, God is all knowing. He already knew what was going to happen before he created. I, sometimes pastors like to be funny, but their funny is not theological. Okay. They're, 
God didn't go, oh, oh man, I, I didn't realize he was going to need someone else. We're going to have to, we're going to have to get him some help. He's going to need some help. And so God decided that he would make Eve. Now, I'm just going to tell you, and we're not going to spend much time at all on verse 19 and 20, because I don't understand verse 19 and 20. And um, there's parts of the Bible I don't understand. I've studied them for years, and I don't understand them. And I, I go to them. I think it's humorous. If somebody has Bible knowledge on this, insight, I'm sure somebody does in this. Many people probably can help me afterwards. I'll be back there, and you can help me with this. But... Okay, so I'm, I'm going to make him and help me for him. And then the Bible talks on verse 19 how God, you know, formed every beast and field and fowl of the air. And, and then he brought him to Adam, you know, and Adam called every living creature. That was, that, that was the name thereof. Verse 20, and Adam gave names to all the cattle and the fowl of the air and every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found and help me for him. Got anything? All I want to do is say this tonight. Thank you, Adam. Thank you. Not quite sure. He found no one like him. He, he was naming animals. He, he, he found no one suitable for him because the animals would be with other animals. And, well, we're not to be with the animals. So I, I, don't, I don't really understand what's so... I, well, do you, do you think Adam was supposed to find someone and all the, Ooh, look at that deer. Look at that bear. I mean, like, well, what, 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 I don't understand like that. Okay. I'm a little baffled here. I mean, look, there's a lot of things I don't understand. I'm just a little confused about what the confusion is with verse 19 and 20. Okay. I mean, you could argue it's confusing that he named all the animals, I guess. I don't know. All right, let's continue. I mean, if the hippo would have come through and he went, Hey baby. <laughs> I don't know what our kids would look like, man. I have no idea. So if Adam would have been attracted to the hippo, no, I think the point was he saw the animals and realized there was none like him. He was the only one like him. He's the human with a living soul and all the things he just saw and named are not like unto him. I mean, right? I mean, is that... Okay. The giraffe comes by. Oh, I know. I... Come on. Did... Is that what it says? All right. That's why we're not touching it, okay? I have no idea what that means. Go ask your preacher at home. You're... I have no idea. But again, Adam, thank you. Amen. Praise God. Wow. Could have been weird. Okay, verse 21. So what did God do? Think about this. Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam. He slept and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. Now I'm going to give you several things. Let me give you some principles that will help you. Think about this. Number one, during your teenage years, you will, you will battle feelings of incompleteness. Every single one of us that went through those years, every single one of you at time to t from time to time will battle against feelings of incompleteness. You ever feel like just something's missing? 
question. Does marriage immediately take away that feeling of incompleteness like something is missing? Are there a lot of people married who feel incomplete like something is missing? I mean, it's almost like, hey, if you're, the church, I think, has pushed this on a lot of people. Hey, if you're not married, you're incomplete. If you're not married, something is wrong with you. There's a lot of churches who put a lot of pressure, especially on singles. Like, we've got to hook them up. We've got to find someone. Hey, you're not married yet? You didn't find someone yet? How about you back off and leave them alone? How about you let them find some? There's nothing. You're not. There's something. I don't like the concept that you're incomplete and you're not right until you get married because the Bible also seems to indicate there are some who maybe will never get married and they're perfectly complete. They're perfect. In fact, the Bible seems to indicate that they can give more of their life to the things of God. I don't necessarily like this idea. You feel, when you're a teenager, you're going to feel incomplete. You're going to feel like something missing. You know how to fix that? Get married. Boom, it'll be fixed. No, a lot of people get married and boom, they still end up with those same feelings. There could be a lot of things that create those feelings. You ever feel a loneliness even when you're around other people? Just like you're not whole. Let me tell you why. You're not whole. So wait a minute, wait a minute. So you're going to feel this way. You're not going to feel whole until, so now, so basically what he's telling all of these young people, you've got to find someone to marry. You've got, that feeling you have, God can't satisfy that feeling. Your relationship with God is not sufficient. No, you're going to feel empty until you find someone to marry. You're literally telling all of these young people that feeling, don't look to God. Don't look to the scriptures. No, no, no. Don't look to the fact that you are to be content in whatever circumstance you find yourself. No, 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 no. You cannot find your contentment in God. You, the reason, young person, you're sitting there. I'm assuming it was an evening service. I'm assuming. Whatever time it was, you feeling that emptiness, that loneliness, you've got to find someone to marry. Then it will go away. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's, uh, yep, that's going to help uh, young people out tremendously spiritually to now they're going to be so preoccupied. They got to get married. 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 How about what you need to focus on first and foremost is your own spiritual life, figuring out who you are. How about, how about some of these personal things that you need to develop and allow finding that other person just to happen in a more natural way instead of like a drug addict trying to find his fix. Well, I got to find them because I'm not complete and I'm lonely and I'm depressed. Because, well, one, because you're a teenager, you got 9 billion things going on inside of your body. Okay, but, but, but okay, okay, you got to go find them. It's interesting when we get down to verse 24, therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be what? One flesh. Well, I'm fairly good in math, and one plus one is always two, except in marriage. The Bible calls it, in Ephesians, a great mystery. 
But you know why? It's not bad math. It's because you, when God made you as a young man, he made you incomplete. He's the one that looked down and said, it's not good for man to be alone. And so you're not whole, young ladies. You're not a complete one. And so you're going to battle these feelings of incompleteness as you grow up. And you know what? I want you to know this. As an adult, we understand that. Okay? Your mom and dad understand that. They went through it. Your preacher understands it. Um, God understands it. Hallelujah. He's the one that made us. But I want to tell you somebody else that understands it. The devil understands it. And if he understands from time to time you're going to fight these feelings of incompleteness, something's missing. Preacher, something's missing. No, someone's missing. And that someone isn't God. That someone isn't Jesus Christ. That something missing is not the scriptures. It's not your spiritual life. What's missing is you've got to find someone to marry. You may be 14. You may be 15. You got to find someone to marry. Man, we got to get you married as quickly as possible because you're incomplete. You're broken. You're a mess. That, that seems to be the way it's being emphasized. Man, I... Mm. Now, it's gotten quiet in the comment section. It's gotten quiet because I'm assuming there's a lot of people who disagree. Maybe you agree with this perspective. You just got to think of the long-term circumstances. I mean, you're taking a group of teenagers and like, you need to find someone to marry or you're not complete and you're not whole. So people who who never get married, they're never complete or never whole. Hmm. I don't, man. Someone's missing. And you know what? God's got that person for you, which brings you to number two. Man, if I can get everybody in this room to believe this, we could win the battle on this thing. All right, we'll stop right there. We'll stop right there because we'll starting right at number two would be a good place to start. We're at an hour, so we'll just back it up to the 14-minute mark. There we go. There you have it. That's from a youth conference. First Baptist Church, Hammond, Indiana. They claim it's the most influential youth conference in the country. Uh, okay, well, someone says, someone said they're holding their tongue. I don't like the manipulative feel of the message. I, I'm getting a little concerned with it as well. I just don't know if I agree with the philosophy that basically... You're messed up. I mean, like you're, you're 14, 15. You're, you're, uh, <laughs> the person said, someone else said, I never said I agree with him. Okay. I know just the silence had me worried like he, that everyone was disagreeing with me. Maybe so. And that's okay. Everyone can disagree with me. I just don't like the concept that you look at a group of teenagers and you're like, look, man, here's the deal. You're lonely. Well, I mean, you feel incomplete. I mean, I, Take a room of a hundred teenagers and just talk about depression, loneliness, not feeling complete, feeling like an outsider, feeling isolated. I think you would get, I think out of a room of a hundred teenagers, 99 would say, I feel that way. I feel that way. Right. I mean, you know, I mean, I, come on. I, you know, that's true. Teenage, teenage years are crazy. I mean, you've got so much going on, so many emotions, so much. Everything is the a crisis. Everything is going on. And, uh, man, okay, I'm, I'm checking, I'm checking here to make sure I'm not missing any comments here. 
Uh, but I, I think you could get all I, can, I think you could get all the teenagers to say that. And so then you're, you mention these things and the teenagers are like, that's me. I feel that way. OK, what's the solution? He doesn't point him to the gospel. He doesn't point him to God. No, he, he's already talked about the gospel. So the gospel is not the solution. He gave him the supposedly the gospel first. So the gospel isn't the solution to these feelings. What is the solution is look around and find that girl. Look around, find that guy. Now make sure it's the right one. Make sure it's the right one. Now just know your pastor and your parents understand that you need to find that right one. Because you find that right one, you go from feeling incomplete to complete. All of that loneliness, all of that will go away and you will be a whole person. And I just have a hard time with this concept because I would think, no, no, no. Whatever state you find yourself, married or unmarried, whether you have food or don't have food, whatever, whatever state you find yourself, you, we, you, we learn to be content in what we have in Jesus Christ. Because I think, first of all, you can't say every person is supposed to get married because the Bible seems to indicate some will be given basically, I will refer to it as the gift of singleness and that they aren't to be married. And in many cases, they can dedicate more of their life to God. And I wonder, if you pursue marriage to make yourself whole, are you starting off marriage based on a philosophy that you are to complete me. You are to make me feel whole. You are to take away my loneliness. You are to take away what I'm missing. Are you going into it that I'm there? I need you to make me whole. I need you to fix me. That seems that that's going at, at it from a, a philosophy of not, no, I want to love you. I want to make you better. I want to make you, because I thought the whole concept of biblical love was one not of selfishness, but of selflessness, where we place the other person before us and we love them because we love them, not because of what we can get. Look, I'm willing, I'm more than willing to have my view here changed. I'm more than willing to have my view here changed. I'm just, maybe, maybe I'm, I don't want to be like trying to be the devil's advocate too much, but I just think that this just seems to have a weird, like, I just think that for teenagers, they need to, to spend less time focusing on finding the right person to be complete, at least from, I'll, I'll, let me say this, for Christian young people, right? People outside of the church, I mean, we could, we could talk about what they need. From a Christian perspective, they need salvation. But for those who are Christian, I think what Christian young people need to focus on is that as a young person, before you're married, you have one of the greatest opportunities to spend more time studying the word of God, more time growing in your faith. You, you don't have all of those other responsibilities. You have, you have more time to, to figure out who you are. More time. You have, this is a time for self-growth, growth, self-discovery, self-understanding, so that you can figure out exactly who you are. This is not the time to, in a sense, say, inject you, inject you with a, a, a shot that says, go find them. You, you need them. Like this is basically saying you're broken and what's missing in your life 
is that girl or that boy. I think the Christian young person is like, what you need right now is to grow in your relationship with God. You need to grow in your understanding of God and you need to figure out who you are. So many young people have no clue who they are. They're still trying to figure it out. Am I, am I supposed to be what my friends tell me I'm supposed to be? Am I, am I supposed to be what my parents tell me they want me to be? What am I? Who am I? You lose your own identity. They need to establish their identity in Jesus Christ. It just seems odd. I mean, typically you have parents going, look, look, could you just stop worrying about who you're going to marry? You're 16. You're acting like you're going to be, you know, 70 year, years old with, and you've never been married and never kissed a boy. Calm down. Usually we're like, calm down, calm down, calm down. You're too, you're too boy crazy. You're too girl crazy. Look, when Disney makes a movie that seems to talk about a girl being too boy crazy, parents like, don't boycott Disney. They're going to make my girl too boy crazy. Then we send them to the youth conference that says, hey, Hey, you're broken because you're not married. You need to find her. Okay, well, that's good. So when Disney does it, it's bad. When the church does it, it's good. <laughs> Man, I just think like there's so much going on. I don't know. You, you can draw your own conclusions. We're already an hour and seven minutes. I'm just, I'm still trying to process this. I'm trying to process this. All right, we'll stop at the 14 minute mark. I'm getting out of Indiana. I'm leaving. I'm going back to Texas because clearly Indiana has got some really weird ideas going down. That I don't know what's going on in Indiana. I would just re recommend everyone just fly over, go around, don't drive through, just avoid the state of Indiana. That's okay. I'm joking, everyone. It's a joke. It's a joke. Calm down. Don't get offended. Okay. All right. You can email me your thought. And I really want to hear your thought. You may have a completely different perspective. And, and I would love to get your thoughts. Now, he's just taking some phrases from these verses and building a philosophy. And I just think that he's ignoring other scriptures, right? Be content in whatever state you find. Some people have the gift of singleness. It just seems like he's taking certain phrases and building a philosophy that I could be think would be actually more detrimental to young people, their spiritual growth, than helpful. You may disagree. Email me, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. And I will really consider your, your perspective, and I'll be more than happy to change my mind if I think you have a valid and good argument. All right. Thanks for listening. Everyone have a wonderful night. I, I want to do one more message if I can tonight. I, I got to do one more to talk about the phone call this morning. Whew. And you talk about, once again, getting frustrated at the American church. Whoa. This one makes me mad. So well, I'm going to try to find a way. I've got to run downstairs and check on a TV program that I've been missing so that I could visit Indiana tonight. So now I'm going to run down. I'm going to rewind, fast forward through all the important parts, or not fast through the unimportant parts, see the important parts, and then run back up here and try to do one more. That's the plan. So if you have the Church One app, just look for out for notifications. Hopefully in the next maybe 30 minutes, I can do another episode. All right, thanks for listening. Hey, for those who are listening, and adding comments, I really appreciate it because these reviews are hard and, and you're kind of like, am I saying things that are ticking people off or am I saying things that people agree or what are other people's perspectives? And it's just to me more fun to review sermons with people. I like, I like listening to sermons and going, okay, so what do you think? What do you think? What do you think? So thank you for participating. All right, everyone have a great night. We'll be back at least one more time tonight. God bless.